pleasure to be with you all here today. Uh, my title is Unmasking Illusions in the Marketplace. Kind of a nod to and inspired by our Kingdom Conference last week. But also another title could be Your Work, Your Mission. So you get to decide which title you like. Okay, if we... Now I want to ask, is anybody here like a camper? Like you know the routine where you, you pack your things and you pack your tent and you go hiking and you make s'mores at night and you dodge mosquitoes, etc. Anybody, that's your vibe? Okay, got a few. Very good. Well, you know, some of the, the world, best world-class camping, hiking, etc. is in the Red River Gorge, not that far from here, in the Down Boone National Forest. People from around the world actually go there, including, I'm told, um, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Now, this is how the story was relayed to me. It may be apocryphal, but uh, you know, I take it on a reliable source. They said uh, they were out one night among these uh, hemlock trees, you know, camping, and um, in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes wakes up and he nudges Watson, and Watson kind of squirms in his sleeping bag, and Holmes says to Watson, hey, look up, what do you see? So you know, um, Dr. Watson, he's a doctor, so he's got to give a prolonged answer, and he says something like, well, you know, if you see the constellations, the way they're situated here, this describes to us that we're in the northern hemisphere. But Holmes isn't satisfied. No, 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 keep looking. What do you see? So Watson thinks a little further and says, well, you know, um, I see these stars up here and, and how majestic that is, how small we are. It kind of reminds me the, the grandeur of God and how small we are, but God's intimate love to care for what he's created. And Holmes, you know, is still not satisfied. I don't know the exact words, but this is kind of the way I w it was passed on to me. Holmes says something like this, look, brah, you need to use both sides of the brain. Look a little further. And Watson steps up his game and he says, well... Okay, um, you know, there's a pink sky when we went to sleep, and there's clear sky out, no clouds. That means it's not going to rain for the next six hours. So finally, Sherlock Holmes can't stand it any longer, and he says, you're missing what's most obvious right in front of us. What it really means is that someone has stolen our tent. So the things that often are most obvious right in front of us can be taken away. We can just kind of miss that. And I'm going to talk today about the marketplace, and we could talk about things where, like, your job in the marketplace provides bread on the table for you and your family. We could also talk about how it dignifies us, like meaningful work dignifies humans. And we could also discuss how it's a place where it, it sharpens us in order to guard against greed and selfishness that can be in the marketplace. But what I'm trying to unmask this illusion is this. In a secular world, we often think of the marketplace as purely a secular context. What if the marketplace is actually a missional context where most people are going to live out their missional calling inside the market, not outside of it? And in a secular world, it's very easy to have our tent stolen. So take a look at this picture. This was produced by Dr. Thobaven. Take a look at who was doing what to whom. And it should remind you of this picture, which was not produced by Dr. Thorobaven. Whoops. This one was not produced by Dr. Thorobaven. Uh, I'm not saying he doesn't have the ability. It was just before his time a little bit. But, but take a look at God, like, stretching every sinew and muscle to try to reach humans wherever they are, inside of an Airbnb or wherever. And, and look at Adam, just kind of like Jay Chillin here. He just got his finger. All he needs to do is lift it to connect, right? But take a look 
at what God provides to humans to fulfill this great commission. In other words, God's providing a wrench. In Ghana, they call it a spanner. Right? And look at the, the human there. He's in work clothing, not in a clerical robe. So in other words, his missional calling is fulfilled through the marketplace, not in spite of it. And Dr. Okeson said it very well last week. The publics, which are these um, political systems, economic systems, etc., the publics want to claim your allegiance. We need to go into the publics and unmask these illusions and claim allegiance to Jesus. Hallelujah. So we're going to look today at these publics, and particularly the marketplace, as a sacred context where God will fulfill his missional calling for most of the people in our churches. Now the, the passage that was read is rather long, but what we're trying to do is take a look at these, these three parables and see what common threads are there. Because Jesus you know, commonly did this, kind of like taking a hammer and hitting a nail three times, it sinks it in deep. If you remember like Luke 15, he talks about the lost coin, then the lost sheep, and that prepares you to understand the lost person, the prodigal son, right? So in a similar matter, Lester DeCoster, in his book, Work the Vocation of Your Life, says that there are common threads in all these three, and if we understand the threads between the first and second, it'll give us some understanding to understand at least one per interpretation of the third. Okay, so let's take a look at that briefly. So the first one that was uh, read and, and Jesus produced about the bridesmaids, and they went and didn't have enough oil. Five didn't have the oil, others did. Now where did they get that oil from? Well, they had to go to the marketplace. And if you're going to get a large quantity, you're going to need a container. And then if it's a, a larger part, like five or ten people, you may need to get it transported out there, like get a donkey cart, etc. So what DeCoster says is, the marketplace is this venue to prepare for the arrival of the bridegroom. And those who didn't engage it, missed. Those who did, were prepared. The second one, parable of the talents. Clearly a marketplace parable, where he describes that the marketplace is this venue where we create more value for others. Now notice that everybody in the parable had a talent. Everybody here whether online or right in front of me, has some gifting, some ability, some talent, something, right? And this parable describes that. In the marketplace, it's really, instead of thinking like a profit and loss type of curve, like economies are really this network of relationships where people exchange value with each other. And in the marketplace, they're creating more value for others. So there's something significant about that. So then DeCoster says, okay, let's look at the third one then. Whoops. Let's look at the third. If we connect the threads of the first two, perhaps there's something of importance there that help us understand the third. And he points out a couple things. One is, well, first of all, this didn't seem like a one-off kind of thing. It's not like they you know, served at the Salvation Army once a year, um, but it's just like a, a regular thing. And the other, they were very surprised. It wasn't like they intentionally were trying to do something. It's just like they were doing their normal routine. And DeCoster connects the dots and says this. Perhaps the marketplace is the venue where we demonstrate our love for God and neighbor. Now, now think of that for a second. So every day when we go about our daily jobs, this becomes the venue to demonstrate whether you're a sheep or a goat. In other words, we fulfill the great commandment to love our neighbors ourselves, and the great commission 
to make disciples of all nations in the very jobs that God has placed us in. So think of the, the listing that he provides in Matthew 25, those who provide food. Anybody from the farmers to the person serving food at the lunch line today, they get to demonstrate their love for God and neighbor through that daily job. Uh, water, anybody in the water industry from drilling wells to engineering systems to distributed to the plumber turning the wrench, all of these people have the opportunity every day to demonstrate their, their love for God and neighbor through that very job. The hospitality industry, anybody from the traveler going to an Airbnb to the Asbury Inn, um, all of those jobs are not simply secular space. Let's just unmask that illusion that these are spaces where God meets people in these very daily jobs. Um, the clothing industry, health, uh, security, even from the uh, security on our campus to uh, the people that care for those in prison, etc., they get to demonstrate every day, whether they're a sheep or a goat, by how they go about that job so their work really matters to God. Now, John Wesley caught a hold of this and um, I often tell people, would you like to hear about a theologian who made about $7 million in his business? Yeah, I'd like to hear about that. Well, welcome to John Wesley. Right, he had several businesses. One was a publishing industry. He also uh, set up women to do sewing and then um, had like short-term loans for like 250 different people to do different businesses. But he realized that through this job, you produce capacity. And, and frankly, if you have compassion without capacity, you get frustrated. But when you have compassion with capacity, you can produce transformation. So Wesley kind of put it this way, in a, in a clear allusion to Matthew 25. He says, in the hands of his children, it or money produced in the marketplace through reputable work is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. It gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. And then he concludes with this. It is therefore of the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent, that they may be instructed how it may answer these glorious ends and in the highest degree. Asbury Seminary. Do you know people who fear God? I think you do. And Wesley is saying here that we should understand how this works and unmask this illusion that your work is simply a secular job that you do in order to scurry off to your sacred work. But actually, this is sacred ground that we step into. Anybody recognize this person here? Okay. Uh, the late Billy Graham premier evangelist last century, he said this. He said that, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. Hallelujah. As believers unmask the illusion that a secular society has put upon us and recognize that they're stepping into sacred context when they put on that workday suit or that workday clothing. This may be the venue upon which the next great revival in the U.S. will come through. At least Billy Graham thought that. Now, there are others uh, nearby in Lexington. There's a group called the 210 Leaders that meet regularly every two weeks with Christians in the workplace, and I meet with these people regularly, and other students here do as well. Um, the leader of that, Craig Avery, said this, if we can wake up Christians to live out their faith in the marketplace, it would change the world. And I actually believe him. I think he's right. 
So there's a few implications here. Um, one is the, the rise of bivocational leadership. So Dr. Bevins has uh, formed a partnership such that we have done some church planning institutes with the Church of God in Christ, or Kojic. And here's some of the bishops. This one bishop's in Kansas City. The other is in L.A. And as we were talking about this topic, they said, you know, the, the Kojic denomination started with bivocational leadership, has continued in bivocational leadership. All of our pastors see that as the way into the future as well. Now, other denominations are catching this as well, such that there's been a 32% increase of bivocational pastoring from 2010 to 2015. And what's happening is it's starting to help us change some of the language, because the language is actually not helpful. When you think of like bivo, like the bi, like bifurcate, split into two, it doesn't really help, because the implication is you do this secular work in order to fund your sacred work. Uh, secondly, it's meant to be like a temporary thing until the church can afford full time. And third, it's not my own preference, but it's just like a second best that I do in order to do the thing I really prefer. And co-vocational leaders challenge each of those three and say, wait a second, what if we unmask the illusion of the marketplace and recognize both of these have sacred potential? Both of these are dripping with sacred opportunities, right? And secondly, instead of looking at it as a uh, temporary thing, even if the church could still afford to pay my full salary, I'm going to stay in this because of the missional and also financial reasons of, that this provides, as well as instead of this being a second best, it's not my volitional choice, what if this really is? Like these are the areas that I'm gifted and have abilities in that I actually enjoy working with to serve others through that. <clears throat> I had a phone call this week from a student who's looking at seminaries, right? And uh, he, he told me this as we were talking through some of this. He really loved the co-vocational discussion because he said, you know, I went into ministry because I wanted to reach unchurched and de-churched people. But the way the church is structured, I rarely get to do that. So I took a job, a temporary job, in the summertime, and to my delight, he said, for in the first day I had six conversations with those who were unchurched or de-churched and just lit a fire once again. Now, there's also financial reasons, um, particularly... Uh, you know, pastors that have a, another job, this particularly with the job has benefits like uh, health care and vacation pay. This provides a great re stress reliever for the family and also helps prevent burnout for those who are trying to scrimp to make ends meet. So I heard Andrew talk about Airbnb and I perked up, right? So in the gig economy, there's lots of opportunities now for people to express this calling in the marketplace and look at this as sacred potential. That's where God met you again. Or at least you recognize you know, that calling again. Um, my wife and I have an Airbnb, and actually, my wife really does it. I you know, kind of you know, applaud her, and she takes care of everything. And uh, about 30% of the time, people come over and talk to us. So this, a few months ago, a lady came over, and my wife and I were talking to her. And after an hour, I, I said, would you like to pray for her, for, pray for you? Her face brightened up. She said, you know, I've been seeking spiritual direction. Said, and after we prayed, she said, do you mind if we keep in touch through email? So my wife has been emailing her back and forth. This is actually like a secular transaction, but in actuality, if we unmask the illusion, this is the venue where 
God actually works and ministers and draws people in. Um, I know a church planter who took a job as an Uber driver because he moved to a city, and he wanted to find out about the city. Well, how's a good way to do it? People hop into my car. I get to ask some questions in about 20 minutes, and they tell me all about what's happening here. Now, it also provides a little jingle in the pocket, but it, it does help me understand the missional value of this job. So one last application, I wish we had more time, but is um, let's, if we regard the marketplace with sacred potential, what if we then regard as this the venue for churches to be located? Instead of inviting people out of our churches once a week to come to these buildings, what if they're located in the marketplace where they're already engaged every day of the week? I was talking to a millennial not too long ago uh, about the, the fact that There's lots of folks that aren't going to come into our churches no matter how good your preaching is, how great your building is, or how great your programs are for every age group. And that's disconcerting, right? Because that's what preachers often or pastors often look to. But he described it this way. Suppose I invited you to a mosque, and I said to you, man, we've got some really good teaching that's going to help you and your family. We've got some programs that are really going to help you and your kids and your grandkids. Um... And in addition, we've got this really sweet building we want you to come and take a look at. Are you going to go to that? And I had to admit, you know what? There's really nothing that he's going to do that's going to draw me into that mosque. He said, that's how a lot of millennials feel about the church now, how it's been constructed. That no matter how great the preaching or the programs or the building, the de-churched and unchurched are increasingly stepping away. And generationally, we're seeing that. 48% of millennials are now called post-Christian. So when you think through, what if we unmask the illusion of the marketplace as being a sacred venue and recognize it as uh, sacred space, and then we'll encounter people like this, uh, Paul Unsworth in London, England, not London, Kentucky, it's London, England. He said that 20,000 people a day go past this street uh, particularly on Sundays, like 3 to 5% attend church. All those that attend church are in a church. He said there's no Christian witness on this street for 20,000 people. There was a Muslim guy preaching about true Islam, etc., but no Christian witness. So here's what he did. He constructed this uh, shop that sells like sweet cakes, sweet treats. I mean, who doesn't like that, right? Along with coffee. And then this becomes the, ve- excuse, the venue for his church plant. So in our urban church planning course, we went to visit him, and here's what Paul said to us. He said, I have had more conversations in one week with people that are not churched, right, than I had in a whole year with, when I was working in a, my church. So all of a sudden, he's unmasked that illusion that this is just secular space, and this becomes a right venue for church planning. This isn't just far away, it's also in Nicholsville, Kentucky, Shadowland Community Church purchased a coffee shop, and they've turned it into an event space. So every Sunday morning, a church meets here, Sunday evening, there's a a recovery community that meets, and that place is literally packed out, Uh, Tuesday night as well, almost every day of the week, something's happening here, and people come here for uh, like an event space, they have like rehearsal dinners for weddings, birthdays, etc., Um, But also, it's a lot easier to invite people into a space they're comfortable with than asking them to go to that church building that's just too much to overcome. Last, an Asbury student in a Muslim city in Ghana, West Africa. 
what he found was that the women who were picking shea nuts didn't get the full benefit of their work. The real people who got the most profit out of it were those who transported it down south. So he decided to do a little small manufacturing plant right near where the ladies gathered the nuts. So as a result, it's a lot cheaper to process it and send the butter down south, and therefore that extra profit he would give to the women so they get a just wage. People in the Muslim community took note, and a church starts out of this. So he gets excited about this and does a little more. He builds a hotel. And as he builds this hotel, this becomes a venue for the church. And here's, he's got bigger dreams that are coming up as well. He says this to me. He says, Jay, we don't want any money to do ministry to Muslims from, to come from outside. We don't want it from England or U.S. Because all the money to reach Muslims come from Muslims who pay for this hotel service. Hallelujah. This is sacred ground, right? So we're unmasking the illusion of the workplace being simply a secular spot. I'm going to conclude with this. Anybody know who this gentleman is? Any hockey fans? Can you say the name or read the back of the jersey? Very good, very good. Wayne Gretzky, they've considered him the greatest of all time. I'm not going to use the word goat because we talk about sheep and goats. But Gretzky um, disputably would be the all-time like hockey player who everybody would recognize as the, the greatest of all time. And they asked him, you know, what was your secret? Like, how did you like, score so many goals? And here's what he said. He said, you know, uh, instead of going to where the puck is, I would skate to where the puck is going to be. And as a result, I was ahead and could easily score. And what I'm talking about this morning is not where the church is, but where the church is going to be. As we unmask the illusion of the marketplace and start to recognize the missional potential that's there, we'll start to see this as a sacred venue for God's mission. The discussion of covo, covocational, will be more commonplace as you enter into your ministry patterns. And thinking of ways to engage those who are unchurched and dechurched it'll make sense to engage them through ministries, through churches in the marketplace. <clears throat> so let me ask this last question. Is anybody going to work today? Okay. And I want to caveat that. Work is not valued by how you get compensated for it because some of the most valuable work is unpaid. Think about child rearing, for example. Right? Now, as you go about your work today, here's the challenge from Matthew 25. You get to go about that job to demonstrate you're a sheep by being motivated to love God through this interaction and to love your neighbor. As that motivation comes through, people will recognize that God has shown up in this marketplace. And when I've worked with different business leaders, I've found out that simple things like encouragement are in short supply. <clears throat> when you're in your job and you encourage somebody, people take note because most of the time people are looking out for themselves. So my challenge is to go about this daily job today to love God and to love neighbor, to recognize that we're a sheep, and to unmask the illusion of the marketplace. And I'm going to pray for you as you do that. Will you bow with me? Lord God, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to demonstrate our love for you and for our neighbors through the jobs you put into our hands. Thank you that it provides the, the benefits of uh, finance, etc., but it also gives us opportunity to demonstrate our love for you. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to anoint each person here 
those online and those face-to-face, that they would step into this holy calling on their jobs today to glorify you through it. In Jesus' name.